Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you made a horror movie on your phone or your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you make a sequel based in a carnival and have no reference to the previous film other than the puppets? Why, you get Ghoulies 2. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. Step right up and come and listen to another episode based on Ghoulies 2, which has absolutely nothing to do with the first film. Why? What are we going to do? We're going to take the ghoulies out of the realm of a mansion after they've been stopped and throw them in a carnival. What? Okay, hi. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And, uh, yeah... Here we are, Ghoulies 2. Now, this one was truly just kind of a random flip of the coin. Actually, I asked Paranormal Pat when I was doing the last episode, and I was like, fuck, I actually need a movie to do. I can't believe I can't find my list of films that like I have that I want to do. And I was like, oh shit, I'm recording. And what? looking at what's available, and especially I like to look on things like Amazon Prime, one, because... It's easy to find the film and for you guys to be able to watch it if you have Amazon Prime. And two, it makes it very easy to get the audio. And a little more work i got to do in cleaning things up. Because for some reason when you're recording off of it, like if it's not from a direct file, it's very low. But that's kind of the way audio always goes nowadays. Like, I don't want to get in a rant about how when you're watching a movie now on your TV, it's like all the music and the action effects are super fucking loud. But then when people talk, it's like talking like this. And you gotta turn up the volume and you're like, maybe it's just me getting old. I don't fucking know. But it fucking pisses me off, especially when it comes back to doing this because all that is still prevalent in the audio that you're getting it. Nonetheless... I'd like to go to that well, because one, they do have a pretty good library on Prime for horror when it comes to, like, old 80s B-movie or C or D-movie flicks that are very entertaining to watch, but are pretty damn terrible. Uh, and two, a lot of people have Prime nowadays, so it's very easy to watch along with the show. So, 
I went to that well looking for a couple films and I found four films that I really want to do and I think all of them I'm going to do eventually on the podcast so I've saved everything there um and uh so I won't tell you what they were but this was the film so I put them all in like numbers and I said hey Pat can you pick a number between one and four he picked two two happened to line up with Ghoulies 2. So here we are. We're talking about Ghoulies 2. Now, I've wanted to go back to the Ghoulies well. Not just the Ghoulies well, but the Full Moon, the Charles Band well. And surprising enough, this is actually directed by his father. And that surprised me right up. But this is also the last Ghoulies film that he has any type of relation to. When they were trying to bring the whole Full Moon studio into, like, full effect, um... Something around this, I remember reading on it, um, I'm not looking at it right now, and if I'm totally wrong about why he did it, but I know that he sold the rights to the Ghoulies basically to fund something else, and I believe it was Full Moon Productions. And so, the next two Ghoulies films, there are four of these fucking movies, uh, have nothing to do with Charles Band other than the characters and creation were originally, you know, part of his world. And this is a really big deviation from the original film. But it does have one thing that the original film doesn't have and kind of like alluded to in the poster. And that's a special scene that's, well, like I said, if you know what the poster looks like, especially if you're looking at this one and you look at the original episode I did on Ghoulies. Now, Ghoulies, I did way back. I want to say it's episode two of the damn show and there's another relation to one of the earlier episodes of this show uh and you can go back and listen to that one and kind of get a recap but i'm gonna be honest if you haven't listened to a lot of the original episodes of this podcast it's a little stiff um that was back in when i was doing you know scripts more than just kind of talking to you guys directly like i'm talking to somebody right across the table from where i'm recording right now so it's uh it's a lot different but it's also the same at the same time but everything was a little more thought out like honestly <laughs> this is a little insight into the madness um that was a little easier in doing the films it was a longer process because writing the scripts out would take me like about a day or two one going through it practicing it you know making sure that everything lines up getting the quotes in the right spots in the right time and where i want to put it so it was a big mess these scripts were anywhere from a couple pages like three or four pages to you know 10 to 12 pages long depending on the movie that i was doing and then you know uh, after some feedback and becoming more comfortable and talking in front of the mic and doing this stuff um i went straight up with hey, we're just going to go do this a little more by memory uh, and my notes rather than doing it. So I have spots, but hey, it's so this is going to be much different, I guess that's what I'm trying to say, than the Ghoulies podcast I did before. But I hope you guys have really been enjoying this, and we're so close to episode 100, which I'm very, very excited about. And we'll talk about that a little more, possibly a little more at the end of the next episode, but probably a little more at the end of this episode. So... I should say before we begin this episode that I have actually never seen Ghoulies 2 or any of the ones after this. I'm a little interested, especially learned that little fun fact that Ghoulies 2 was the last one that really truly involved Charles Band. So I'm kind of interested to see where the story and everything went. So 
I really didn't know what to expect going into this film. I was like, I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, well, the first thing was when I was selecting the movies was, oh shit, Ghoulies 2. Why haven't I even like gone to this well again uh, in a long time? And then the second thought was, man, this trailer is really terrible. Um, but they're in a carnival. Like, how did everything happen? And then so while I was watching the film, it was more became like, huh. This really has no relation to the first film. Like, what the hell is going on here? Like, other than the ghoulies, the titular, like, titled monsters, demons, whatever you want to call them. And it seems like they're a lot more animal-based in this one than I remembered in the first one. But, like, I always kind of, like, associate ghoulies and everything with the whole, like, puppet master-like worlds. So, you have your puppet masters, you have your blood dolls... You have your ghoulies. That's kind of where I kind of put everything. You know, I went through and, and just because they're basically like miniature puppet, like killing things, except for these guys are demons that get summoned. And I remember when watching the original ghoulies, I was totally floored in what they did, like how they got to the point. And here it's like, I miss that. <laughs> <laughs> like, as much as some of the stuff was terrible in the original Ghoulies, I totally missed that type of thing in this film in comparison. Like, I wish that we had a little more backstory, that why were they summoned, what was going on, and instead we kind of just get, I don't know, like, like we're thrown into it. Like, oh, well... Why don't we just go ahead and get into the film? So, what I'm really trying to say before we get into the film, I know it keeps, let's get into it. But, but before we get into it, let's get in. No. So, before, I want to say that I've never seen this before. That's all I'm trying to get down to it. So, you know, if you've never seen this before, this is my very first experience with the film. And let's see how everything goes. So, the film opens up on the road. And we see that a boy and his uncle, the uncle by the name of Ned, and his name is Lawrence, or Larry as he goes by, are driving down the road with this giant monstrosity of a truck. And what they're driving is an attraction called Satan's Den. Basically, it's like a horror funhouse that they've got going on. And they're along with the ride of a carnival. And the uncle, who happens to be right away, you can kind of tell, is a fucking drunk. And honestly, I looked at the uncle and I recognize him from films. Like, I think he's in Bedknobs and Broomsticks, if I'm not mistaken, or he's in something else kind of similar to that. But I really, like, he kind of looks like Punky Brewster's dad, but not really. Or he kind of looks like the old man from Fraggle Rock, but he's not him either. Like, they all have that same type of look, but I honestly believe it's Bedknobs and Broomsticks that I remember him from. And if you haven't seen that movie with Angela Lansbury, please go back and watch it, because it's one of the fantastic old, like, 1960s, 70s Disney light-up action films uh, with some wonderful special effects and suits of armor, like, kicking the shit out of Nazis and stuff like that. It's actually very, very entertaining, so... Anyway, getting back to the film, so you can kind of already tell that he must be some type of drunk because of the way that he's looking, he's kind of slumped over, uh, he's very red-faced, and he looks outside the window, and that's where we get the first kind of, like, sense that there's something magical or even something evil that's going on in the world at the moment. Moon fuller than usual tonight. Hey, either it's full or it ain't, Ned. Full moon cannot get any fuller. You want to be a magician, nephew? 
You got to pay attention to the moon. You got to pay attention to the truck. It's overheating again. This is Satan's Den calling Aladdin's harem. Over. This is Aladdin's harem, Satan's Den. Dixie on the horn. Want me to tell you all a bedtime story? Over. Uh, I think the radiator's had it. We're gonna have to find some kind of garage somewhere somehow. Over. Good luck. Just don't be late getting to Greenville. Big day tomorrow. Over. You're wrong, sweetheart. <laughs> it's a small day tomorrow when the accountants take over the carnival. A small day indeed. <laughs> over and out. <laughs> Just keep an eye out for an open garage, all right? It's the fullest moon I've ever seen. It's a magic moon, nephew. A magic moon. So it's a magic moon because it happens to be brighter than all the other moons. Now, the largeness of a moon, if you guys even kind of know this is really based upon trickery with your brain and your eyes so when you're looking at it and you see it really big and it seems like it's really close it's actually some weird type of optical illusion that you're seeing so it's not necessarily magical man maybe you're just too drunk and you feel like oh that's the biggest fullest moon that i've ever seen in the world which it's actually not that different than anything that you've ever seen before so they drive along and they try to find a gas station or mechanic and honestly this is like the moon's kind of like the highest peak that it is like is this in a like a world where gas stations just show up or stay open really fucking late so like if you pull up to one you're just going to expect them to be like oh they're going to be open and I'm going to be able to get everything fixed and everything that I need. Like, it really doesn't seem like that's going to be the situation that they're going to run into. So, from here we transition. We see a guy running with a burlap sack. And he runs over to a very convenient gas station slash mechanic shop that he manages to get inside. So, we know where everything's going to coincide and that eventually we're going to see Satan's Den show up here. So, he goes inside... And he's being chased by these people in these, like, red robes. I don't even want to call them robes. They look like they're, like, red, I don't know, like, felt pieces. Like, they're so fucking shitty. Like, I literally could have just taken a long piece of fucking linen, cut them up, put a little crappy little yellow belt around them, and been like, boom, there's robes. Like, they're terrible. But from what I'm led to understand, these guys are, like, I don't know, devil worshippers, devil summoners, are they somehow related to the people that, you know, the uncle that was the one that, uh, or the father, I should say, from the original ghoulies that tricked the son into bringing the demons out and bringing him back to life? Um, we don't know, because they're fucking dumb as shit. <laughs> like, literally, this guy, we find out he's a priest, and he's kidnapped what I led to believe are the ghoulies inside the fucking bag, because... What else would they fucking be? And there is a conveniently like placed vat of toxic waste. Again, what type of mechanic? One, there's nobody here, okay? So that is totally going to bust the flaw in the plan that Larry and Ned have about finding a, a gas station or a mechanic that's going to be open late enough so that they can work on the damn truck and make sure that they can get Satan's Den to wherever the carnival's going to be in whatever Greensboro, Greenberg, Greenland, wherever the fuck they're going to go. And 
that, or at least maybe they were going to be able to get water. I can understand if you stop and there's like a faucet somewhere and you can get some water, cool down the radiator, and make sure you go. But it really sounds like he wants to get something so that they can have repairs on it. So, one, the flaw in that plan is totally been busted because there's nobody there. Two, conveniently left vat of toxic waste. What type of mechanic uses a giant vat of toxic waste? One, just leaves it out there. Like, huh, you know, I'm just going to close up for the night and I'm not going to put any type of cover or lid on it. It's just going to leave there smoking all night so that when I come back in the morning, hopefully nobody's broken in, one, to take it, two, to, you know, possibly tip it over like I don't have any fucking enemies that are going to come by and want to totally destroy my building and destroy what I'm doing and just tip over this giant vat of toxic waste. Or there's not going to be some kids that are going to be like stupid enough to be like, hey, there's a vat of toxic waste. It's as bad. I bet you we can use that to do stuff and be up to no fucking good. So I don't know what the fuck the guy is even thinking or the person that owns this place is even fucking thinking just leaving this out anywhere. So the priest comes up and he dumps the contents of the bank into the toxic waste and starts talking and praying to God about Satanists and demon worshippers and how God needs to help him. And then all of a sudden we see the very first ghoulie of the film, which I'm dubbing the Bat Ghoulie. Na 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 Bat Ghoulie! That's right, I had to make a Batman joke. Um, but <laughs> it literally just like dives from the raptors and like stretches out his wings and makes like a bat noise and it's got two parents that were killed a long time ago and it's taken up a life of fighting against priests now because it doesn't want to take up against life of fighting crime because it's a demon at the same time. So uh, it knocks the priest right into the vat of toxic waste. Once again, that convenient vat of toxic fucking waste. Um, and it happens right as Larry and Ned pull up in their giant fucking, you know, monstrosity of a, a carnival attraction, Satan's Den. So, Larry goes into the building and he calls out and of course, nobody calls back to him. And he does see the fact that the window's been broken because the priest... Even though he's a priest, he needs to make sure he gets a demon, so I guess vandalism is above, or I should say below, uh, demon killing, which, honestly, it probably should be. So, he dumps the demons, you know, after he dumped and he's been dumped in there, uh, Larry, he puts his hand over the toxic waste, because it's bubbling, and it's like, smoking, and he's like, huh, I wonder if this is hot. Why don't you put your fucking hand in there, Larry, and then you can see whether or not it's hot. Just burn the whole fucking thing off. Maybe you can end up like that one guy in Deathbed, the bed that eats, and you can just roam around with skeleton hands for your hands. Ugh, it's just... It's so fucking stupid. So, of course, the moment that he leaves and he doesn't find anybody, the priest's body bobs up and you see the skeleton all bloodied and melted away already. Like, how did the priest die that fast? That's what I really want to know. I get it. Priest goes in. He should be fucking screaming out loud, but he just goes into the fucking water or toxic waste, where the fuck it is, and he's just like... He's dead. He's fucking dead, Jim. That's all it fuck it is. Like, there's nothing else to do there. He's got... He bobs out and there's isn't... Like, I was expecting him to go in and him to pop up and be like, Oh! Like, you know, he's in fucking pain because he went to the toxic waste and his skin fucking melted off of him. 
Why doesn't he make a sound? Is this like some stupid fucking riddle? If a priest falls in a vat of toxic waste and nobody's around, does anybody hear him? No, because he's totally fine with falling into it and just fucking dying. Now, I get it too at the same time, because the ghoulies are actually inside of there, and after he leaves and everything, like... We see that Ned and Larry kind of meet up and explain that, well, we're going to have to get some water. And Ned is stupid enough to not lock the fucking, like, trunk of Satan's den. We see the ghoulies pop out, and we get to meet the other four ghoulies. So there's the rat ghoulie, the dog ghoulie. Well, I see, I call him the dog ghoulie, but he's not really, he just acts like a dog. There's the cat ghoulie, which is probably my favorite, and we'll get into reasons why. And then there is the other ghoulie, which I'm going to call the fish ghoulie, because it looks like he has a fish tail. He could also be the merman ghoulie. Um, he could be anything, anything water-related. He could be the fucking lobster ghoulie, for all I fucking know, with that fucking tail. But he is green, and lobsters aren't really green. Well, they can be kind of, Whatever, he's the fucking fish ghoulie, okay? So, they all pop out, and along with the bat ghoulie, they all get into the back of the Satan's Den truck and continue on. Though... Nobody seems to notice or care when they get there that nothing was locked up. That could have been because, oh, well, Ned's a fucking drunk and he forgot. And you think that you might have checked things out. But they do get into the, like, magic chest or whatever chest that Ned has in the back of the truck. Because what we learn a little later, and I can kind of talk about it right now, is that Ned used to be a famous magician, the great Fausto. Um, which... If you know Faust, I, I get it. Like, the whole thing, he's got his little book of magic or whatever. I guess they're trying to make some type of correlation to that story. Um, doesn't really work for me, to be honest. And, you know, and honestly, when I was thinking about this, I was like, huh, I haven't seen a really good Faust movie, like, ever. There's one that's in German that's okay, but it's still not what I expect it to be. But anyway, anyway... So they're all now traveling along in his magic trunk and Satan's Den arrives at the location of where the carnival is going to set up next. We see everybody and they're talking of course about this accountant that's going to come in that supposedly the carnival's not doing the best and there's going to be somebody that's going to come and evaluate everybody and that's kind of what the rest of the carnival is worried about. And we actually get to meet Harden for the very first time when we fade to morning and we see a little Porsche driving up. Are you with the carnival? Sir Nigel Pennyweight at your service. I'm one of the denizens of Satan's death. Right over there, you see? A den of death and transfiguration. And uh, this is supposed to be scary, right? Indeed it is. And yours truly is the chief author of those terrors. Do me a favor, Mr. Nigel. That's Sir Nigel. Sir Nigel, yes. Well, tell everybody that Philip Harden would like to see them at the ten and one in half an hour. Thanks. Oh, Mr. Harden, we, we've been expecting you. They know not how their wits to wear. Their manners are so apish. So, Sir Nigel here is somebody that I could not put my finger on it. Like... I really knew where I've seen this guy before, and he is a, you know, he's a little person actor that's there, and uh, he's kind of treated rather poorly by Harden, and we know that 
that Harden is the asshole that's coming here. Of course, he's somehow related to the owner of the company, but he is the accountant that is going to be reviewing everybody here. Um, we also see that Nigel, you know, he treats himself as a trained actor. He's not just this fucking little, you know, imp uh, per se that is there just to scare everybody off inside Satan's Den, but that he's a thespian and he constantly recites fucking Shakespearean lines throughout the whole movie. Like, seriously, if the situation arrives, he's going to bring up some type of Shakespeare at some fucking point. So he takes the knowledge of that Harden is here and wants everybody to gather around, and he goes to where Ned is sleeping on the electric chair inside of Satan's Alley, or Satan's Den. Satan Alley is, I believe, a video game, and that's where I keep, like, wanting to go. But inside Satan's Den, or some other movie that I can't remember, uh, we see that Ned is sound asleep, and Larry comes to wake him up, and of course, Nigel comes with... There are two... There are actually, I would say there's like three running themes in this movie that constantly, constantly are being brought up or brought around. The first is fucking coffee. Actually, you know what? The first is fact that Nigel recites fucking Shakespeare constantly. The second is fucking coffee. Coffee, coffee, coffee. It appears fucking everywhere. I understand. Coffee is life. Coffee is great. Coffee is fucking delicious. But literally... A lot of these scenes, when they transition from one scene to the next, it's, here's your fucking coffee. Oh, have some coffee. I've got coffee. Let's go get coffee. Let's have, let's do coffee. Coffee. Coffee, 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 coffee. And it's so, like, ridiculously annoying. I didn't notice it as much the very first time, but when I went through and got the audio, it's like, fucking A. I wanted to do, like, a coffee count. And I bet you coffee is mentioned at least 30 fucking times in this movie. I might be a little bit facetious at that point, but it's possible that it's about that. But constantly, coffee. The other thing we'll talk about in a little bit, because it's in reference to one of my favorite ghoulies in the movie. Nonetheless, he goes over bringing his coffee to wake up and make sure that Ned attends the meeting with uh, Harden and everybody else. He's here. He's here. Shh. Tough night. We had trouble with the truck. You mean the you better get him up. Harden is here, and he wants to see us all. It's been 20 minutes at the 10 and 1. Come on. Uncle Ned. I'm just getting up. Here, old boy. Coffee. Evil drug caffeine wakes you up. I checked the lab in the tomb. Place is almost ready. Ready for what? Extinction? When the accountant gets here, I might just as well throw the switch on this thing. Don't say that. Why not? Because he's here. Well, then we must greet the bugger. So they leave the Satan's den and they go outside to meet Harden and everybody else. We get another shot of the ghoulies from inside of the the whole thing. And they seem like they're kind of trapped and a little bit content to be here. And I've got to say, there are two things that I do really like in this film. One is the puppets. I think the puppets for the ghoulies are really well done. And the first scene where we actually see them jump into the truck, the claymation that is used for that is really well done. Like, I really enjoyed it. Um, it reminded me of those, like a Harryhausen 
um, type of claymation. Um, you know, Ray Harryhausen did the whole thing with like his greatest uh, is Clash of the Titans and Jason and the Argonauts. Those are the two you might remember the most. Uh, but he was the master of creating these clay models that looked fantastic and fit directly into the film. You know, before we had a lot of CGI, it was all done on green screen. Anyway, it looked great. And I really liked this, like, the way that they moved and the way that they crawled in the truck. I thought it was really cool in comparison to a lot of things at the time, where especially when we have puppets, we don't really see them walk. It's always like the Muppets, right? They're always that fucking, like, you may get a full shot of the puppets, but you never actually see them doing unless it's like Puppet Master where they could get away with it because... Hence, they're giant puppets, so they should move like puppets do, right? But these are demons, these aren't puppets, uh, and they should move, you know, the, the critters, they rolled because they thought that was the easiest way to, for you to actually watch them move around, is, hey, let's just, you know, roll, thanks BTV, right, by the way, uh, but you watch them roll, and we don't have to worry about it so much, but here... They, you know, it's demons, they've got to, like, move around and not just be a Muppet and only see them from the waist up. And so, you do get full shots of the ghoulies quite a bit, but they really only move around in more claymation scenes, or if they're holding on to something, or they're right next to somebody, again, it's just kind of only from the waist, you know, up, rather than seeing them actually move around. But I really do like the design of the puppets. Um, I think that they're, you know, grotesque in a way. Like the rat one, I think, is probably my favorite design, characteristic-wise. Again, we'll talk about the cat one. It's not just because I love cats, but because I think that that one has the most personality. The second would probably be the fish one. The least would either be the bat or the dog. Like, the bat only really comes down to swoop down on people. And the dog you only see every now and then. Though he does have one of the funniest fucking scenes in the entire fucking movie. So, um, so they go outside... And everybody gathers around to listen to Harden speak. And he basically runs down what is going on with the carnival. And he does make an ultimatum to the Satan's Den guys of, Hey, you guys better turn a profit or get out. I'm Philip Harden. At present, I'm head of accounting at Harden Enterprises. The company... Company? You mean your father. (laughs) The company has asked for a complete audit of all Harden Enterprises holdings, including this carnival. I've also been empowered by the company to address any debit or shortfall with commensurate action. What means address debit? He means that if he thinks in his ageless wisdom that your act isn't making enough money, you have to hit the road. He's absolutely correct. Let's get down to the bottom line. Some of the attractions do not show a profit by the time we leave Greenville... They'll be closed down. You can't just draw a bottom line in the dirt and dare people to cross over it. This carnival's our life, all our lives. This carnival is a business, and it'll be run like a business. Thank you. Carnival runs on magic. A company runs on profit. And the company owns this carnival. Satan's Den's been losing money for 16 months. Our money. You're dead space on the midway, and that costs us. You have until the end of the weekend to turn it around. Satan's Den been part of this outfit for over 20 years. Look, I'm concerned with the future. You pull your weight, or you get out of the way. 
So, Satan's Den has not been profitable, and it's probably all being drunk away by Ned, to be honest with you. Uh, everybody knows that he has a problem. Everybody just continues on with the fact that he's there. Sir Nigel does go up to Harden and basically is trying to reason with him and find out, like, he's like, you know, that Satan's Den is like the blood of the carnival. It's been here forever since the carnival's inception, and, you know, you can't just get rid of us. To which, you know, Harden replies that, hey, it still needs to turn a profit. And honestly, that's kind of fair. I know we're trying to paint this guy out as some bad mamma jamma that's coming in because, ooh, we're a family. And, you know, this is our lifeblood. This is what we do. And everybody just cares for each other. But honestly, there's somebody at the top that's put a lot of money into these things. And they need to have some sort of profit back, right? You don't just put money into a company and not expect it unless you have something else to fall back on. Now, that could be the case that's going on here. The guy's, you know, has so many different things available, has so many different attractions that, hey, maybe one little carnival isn't going to need to be shut down because you have so many other things, but maybe all of them are just doing mediocre, and you need to cut the stuff so that you can put more money into other things. I get it. It's a business. And yeah, the big bad businessman is coming in here, and he's ruining your guys' way of life. And maybe that's what you don't need right now, but you have to understand that it's not as bad as it seems. So with Nigel here talking to, you know, Harden, I totally get Harden's situation but I do understand what they're trying to do and how they're trying to show and be sympathetic to the carnival folk at the same time. So let's listen on the conversation between them. And even though I understand the situation, it doesn't mean that Harden can't just be a complete fucking dick. Excuse me, Mr. Harden, but this carnival would be nothing without Satan's den. Well, it's practically nothing now, Sir Nigel. Ah, but don't worry, there's always room for you at the freak show. I'm an actor, sir. Not a freak. I played the fool in King Lear at the Old Vic. Well, then perhaps you could be useful at the attraction we've contracted to take the place of the uh, spook house. And what attraction is that? Mud wrestling? Quite. He plans to replace Satan's den with a lady's mud wrestling tent. And he wanted me to be the referee. I'm an actor, not a mudslinger. We are not going to be replaced. We're going to make money this weekend. Well, how do you expect to do that? The new sophisticated carnival audience doesn't seem to find our horrors horrible enough anymore. So we're going to do what you said, Uncle. We're going to give them real magic. Of course, a little abracadabra and up pops ghastly demons from hell that'll really scare people. Not like Nigel, who wears a stifling suit for six hours every night, running around trying to frighten children who laugh at beheadings. And the newest fashions and mutilations every week at the local cinema. Listen, we'll add a magic show right after the torture chamber. You can put up a spotlight and do your old act. The Great Fausto Returns. The Great Fausto has been dead for over 20 years. I should never let your parents send you out here. You can still do it. You've been teaching me magic all summer. That's why I came here, to learn from the master. The master? <laughs> That's great. He can do anything. He can even make this bottle disappear. So, again, here we are. He's not a, you know, this carny guy. He's a fucking actor. I, 
I really love the uncle, even though he's a drunk. Like it's part of the character that he's more of a realist than everybody else. He knows it's not doing well, and even they do. Like they're a little hopeful because this is their life, especially with Nigel. Even though he constantly says that he's an actor, oh my god, you know he just wears a suit. He does. He's not in here doing this every night for six hours in this little fucking. He calls it a hobgoblin suit, but it looks like a little gorilla suit. Is honestly what it looks like, and. You know, he doesn't know the struggles that we have, and I totally get it, because certain things fade out with time, and, and maybe Nigel's not fucking getting that, you know? It's like, you think about the newspaper, right? Back when I was a kid, the newspaper was a huge thing, you know? It was something that my dad, every day, he went over and he got it every morning, and he still fucking does, and he'd open it and he'd read it. And he'd sit there for whatever the period of time that it was, uh, you know, in the mornings before he left while he ate his breakfast, looking at all the articles and getting his news that way. And then, you know, slowly the 24-hour you know, cable news networks came up, but he still stayed with his paper, but that kind of ate some of the paper's business. And it was really when the internet started coming around and information was so readily available for anybody to write anything that they're struggling and they didn't change with the times. And it's kind of what's going on here. You know, he's talking about all the stuff in the cinema, but their Satan's den is stuck in the fucking 1930s, 1940s with the type of scares that are in it. Yeah, there's a couple of things in it that are a little more modern, but honestly, now, don't get me wrong, I would fucking love this place because everything there is like... It's all based around universal monsters, like that whole sect of vampires and Frankenstein's monster and the mummy and and those types of things. Like, there's a big influence in the way that it kind of looks. And it looks like there's even a gill man on the outside of the building that they put out there. It's great. I would love it for the nostalgia factor, but... He's right. Like, even with horror movies, you know, you look back at an old 1950s and they don't necessarily accept, or, or unless you're a true, like, horror junkie, the younger generation looks at it and it's like, oh, that's way too bad. It's way too fake. And you go towards the new stuff, which is becoming more and inherently more, um, in with the times. I'm going to say it that way. I don't want to say it's necessarily violent because there were plenty of extremely violent films, even from the 70s. Uh, all the way up until today, it's just the violence is different. You know, today it's a little more realistic than it was back then. But certain things grab the younger generations, and that's why we why we have these shitty PG-13 movies that have these shitty fucking scares like fucking Winchester, who should have won the fucking Razzie. I don't know why that film didn't win the fucking Razzie, but maybe when I finally do it on this podcast, I'll have Razzie-nominated film Winchester up here. Oh, God, that, I don't even want to go into that right now. But nonetheless, you get films like that where they're not really scary, but they scare a certain demographic that gets the money. And that's where I do relate to what's going on with, with the way Nigel's talking about everything. But again, then you've got Ned here, who's kind of the drunk realist, where he's just like, look, we keep doing this stuff. We're not going to make the money, and we're just going to close down. So let's just fucking deal with it and close this shit down. And then at the same time, you've got the whole situation where, like, oh no, you're going to do your magic. What? Like, he did his magic a while ago, and you think that the magic is what's going to bring people back. And, 
that's kind of where we're going with this. And we know that the demons are going to have some big type of influence on the whole thing. And then also talking about Harden with how much of a dick he fucking is. Especially the way that he's treating Nigel. The way that he's treating the carnival people. We know that he's going to die in some terrible, terrible accident. And it's honestly kind of ruined for us already in the trailer for the movie of how he's going to die because they had to add the scene in the movie that wasn't in the original that's on the fucking poster. So nonetheless, from here we go out and we see the way the carnival's running and we see the head of the, I want to call them like belly dancers. I'm not sure exactly what their performance is. There's a really kind of creepy scene uh, that happens when everything turns into night, but it's like he's talking with one of his dancers here and she's talking about how, oh, she's going to go on a date and somebody gave her a bracelet and he starts talking about how basically she's a whore. <laughs> like, yeah, you're going after every fucking guy that's out here. And there was a vagina joke that happens that I laughed out loud about because <laughs> it's so terrible. She's got a cat, okay? And the cat's name is Muffy. And... <laughs> And she's like petting it and stuff like that. And she gets mad at her boss who's like, no, I need you here tonight. You can't go on this date. You always go on this date, whether it's going to be Bill from Atlanta or Jim from Nebraska or, you know, D Dave from Texas. You always go around with these people, you know. The last time you went there and it was it was fucking Andy from over in Kansas City, you know, he left you high and fucking dry and instead you're stuck here. You I need you tonight. This guy is just going to fucking leave you. Well, he's going to fuck you and leave you and then you're going to come crawling back, but you're one of my main stars. And so she gets huffy and throws down Muffy on the ground like she just tosses the fucking cat and then all of a sudden she's like, "Oh no." Have you seen my kitty? And it's like, bitch, you fucking throw him on the ground. Like, if I was your fucking cat, I'd fucking leave anyway. And so she's walking around. And she looks over to the, the strong man. She's like, have you seen my Muffy? He's like, everybody has. It's, it's fucking... And she gets mad and leaves, but it's fucking great. So... She goes and she thinks that she sees him go into Satan's den, her little Muffy. And so she's looking around, and she's the first one that tragically is killed by the ghoulies. Though, it's not as tragic as I thought. I mean, tragically, because she didn't really deserve to die right now. But at the same time, we get to see one of the reasons why I love the fucking cat demon. It's because the cat demon loves to shank people. <laughs> this is just what he does. Like, he always has some sort of blade, some sort of shank, and it's a running fucking theme. And I fucking love it. That's like the best thing. And this one, when he goes to get her, he's got a razor. Like a straight razor that's from Uncle Ned's like little you know magic chest or whatever you want to call it. And he, like, pulls it out, and he's, like, looking at it, and he's like, yeah, I'm gonna shank a bitch. And so he goes there, and he gets her, and he slices her, and then the ghoulies all pounce on top of her, and, you know, she's gone, uh, but not, well, I guess she has forgotten at the same time. Even though, you know, the cat demon is the one that actually is, like, the perpetrator of some of the starts, the starting thing, you know, like I said, all of them jump on top of her. And there's one little thing where the dog demon's, like, holding her legs down. And there's this shot where, like, he's spreading open her legs. At least it seems like. 
because he wants to get a shot of that camel toe uh, that pops up for like a second and then goes away. I have like some really weird camel toe detector. Like I can just see it (laughs) or maybe I'm just trying to like force it onto the scene. Like, okay, it's going to pop up now. And then, Ooh, camel toe. But (laughs) nonetheless, she dies and we cut over and we see that uh, Ned, he's like looking through his stuff and well, we see that the carnival, everybody's kind of having, you know, having fun and there's more, a lot more people and they're still preparing to get Satan's dead ready for the day because it's not for some reason working during the day. Maybe that's the reason why they're not generating any type of revenue. And he's kind of taken to the thought that, Hey, maybe I can do my magic trick. And so he decides to pull out his old magic book, look through it. And he talks about real magic. Real magic. (laughs) Come forth, all ye imps and sprites and demons of the spirit world. The great Fausto commands you. (laughs) I don't need any demons. I got my own private ones. <laughs> oh, the great fucking Fausto will perform one of the worst goddamn tricks in the history of phony baloney magic. <laughs> He, he will pull a rabbit out of his hat. <laughs> I've got the DTs. I'm seeing things. I'm hearing things. They work. The magic. It, it works. I called you up. Me, the great Fausto. I command you to do my bidding. Stay right there. Don't move. Nephew, come here for a minute. Larry, you've got to see this. So he believes that he summons the ghoulies. I know that's a little bit of a longer clip, 
than I wanted to play, especially with just all the sounds of the ghoulies in there. But I like the transition in between the two of him, like, kind of joking around. What he does is he takes his hat off, and he pretends like he's going to pull the rabbit out of the hat, but instead, he pulls the fish ghoulie out of the hat. I want to know how he didn't feel the weight of it, and two... If that he didn't feel the weight, then that hat is fucking magical, and he better build himself a fucking snowman and put his fucking hat on top of it so that that snowman can fucking live, okay? But, honestly, how would you not notice the weight of a fucking ghoulie? It's either that, or it's got a really fucking bad trap door underneath it, and he didn't realize that he punched through the hat, and he picked him off the floor or something like that. Nonetheless... He's totally surprised that they even are fucking real. And when he goes to get Nigel, of course, Nigel, he's like, um, you know, whatever, I'm going to entertain it. But then there are no fucking ghoulies there. You know they were going to run away. You know that they were going to be there to see everything through. So the weird thing is about this scene as well is that Larry also comes in and he was totally like pro uncle and everything about magic until he started talking about the demons that don't even fucking exist supposedly that truly do and then he's like man why do you got to be such a dick uh there's also a scene that I kind of skimmed over didn't really talk about where he meets Nicole up and he tries to ask her out on the date when it's daytime but uh I don't really like that whole part of the film, to be honest with you. It's another one of those is why do we even need to have it in here? Why couldn't we just be focused on, like, the ghoulies and these types of things instead of having a love interest? But, of course, these films always have to have something like that to, I don't know, get the characters motivated. I I don't I don't get it. I don't understand it. Whatever the fuck. We, we're just not going to deal with it. So... It turns night and we see that the, you know, the, everybody in the carnival, that everybody's out there doing something. We see the freak show with the strongest man and I think two bearded ladies, if I'm not mistaken, one that's like a redhead and one that's like a blonde. And I was very surprised that we got to see two. We also see the belly dancers and that's where we get the really ridiculous, like, oh man, like, <laughs> I really wanted to play it. But I just don't think that it's worth it because it's only worth it for the one little things where he's like talking about them because the way that they're moving their bodies. And he says they're like reptiles, reptiles, like it's really fucking ridiculous that it even is in here. And we see that Harden is there out there in the audience like a dickhole wearing his fucking sunglasses at night. Okay, you're not trying to hide yourself from anybody or hide yourself from yourself. You're just a pretentious fucking dick. So take off those sunglasses, which he does because he has to have a better look at Nicole. And that's where we kind of learn that he's kind of got this sexual attraction. Okay, it's not kind of. He totally wants to fuck the shit out of Nicole and he really wants a piece of it. So... From here, we do go over to Satan's Den, and we see that Larry, he's trying to usher people in to get them, you know, interested in his attraction. And we meet probably one of the most annoying characters in the film and have to hear about his fucking tunes. Ladies and gentlemen, behold, the open gate to hell. You never know what to expect on the inside. Get your tickets now. Scary, mister. I bet it's not. I bet it's stupid. Demons don't get you. You'll be all right. My ass. You have to leave your radio outside. Yeah, the hell I do. You don't go nowhere without his tools. Oh, shut up, man. Well, 
right? You can take the radio inside, but you'll have to turn it down. You're ruining other people's enjoyment. Oh, enjoyment. So this is the shitty metalhead from the 80s that everybody fucking hates. Where, like, the stereotype of, oh, these guys don't have any respect for society and all they want to do is listen to their music loud because they're young kids. Blah, 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 blah. I know it's been transferred to somebody else. It's not necessarily on the metalheads anymore. It's gone to a different generation. But metalheads still have this stigma here. Whoa, dude, I'm totally wanting to rock out to my tunes. And it's fucking... Oh, I hate it. Hate it so much. Uh, but then we got his friend in the background that's just constantly fucking making out. Like, the only thing these two have to do the entire time. And I'm so glad that she's okay with this role because it's kind of fucked up to have it. Is literally, they're just kissing the entire time and he's grabbing her tits. Like constantly grabbing her fucking tits. And I'm not just talking about, like, lightly putting his hand. I mean, like, fucking getting a whole titty in a hand and, like, just squeezing like there's no tomorrow. Like, you're trying to find out if that tomato is fucking ripe or not. And magically, her shirt stays on the entire fucking time. Like, he never goes underneath. He's constantly just over the shirt. You would think, and maybe it's probably because of the role or whatever, whatever the rating of this film is, but if you were that type of dude and you were doing nothing but grabbing tit, that you would at least go under the fucking tube top and get some actual tit and not just over the fucking clothes tit, you fucking moron. Okay, he's just a little kid, but nonetheless... Like, you gotta try for something, right? If you're gonna be doing that. And especially when she has, like, such a short skirt, you could easily reach up the skirt. If she doesn't care about you grabbing tit, you can at least grab some fucking ass at the same time. Like, like work different areas, man. It's not all just about the tits. You gotta make sure you work every part of the fucking body to make sure that she's all engaged. Because all she's honestly doing, and it's fucking disgusting, is she's just putting up her lips and, like, duck face... The entire time. And he is just mouthing over the entire face. Just fucking glopping over. I'm surprised that like her mouth isn't just covered in glistening fucking spit all over the face. It's not just dripping down the side of her face onto the fucking floor. Because he's just like, like a fucking dog that's so excited to see somebody and licking the shit out of their face. That's all he's fucking doing with her. In the entire time that you see these two characters fucking doing this and it's so fucking annoying that he's just not paying any more attention he's just being a stupid young teenager Ugh. maybe there's a hint of jealousy or something in there but <laughs> come on and then there's Meryl <laughs> who, who is wearing like a fucking he looks like fucking Marty from Back to the Future 3 when he goes in the western times and he's got that fucking ridiculous outfit where it's like the button-up shirt and the weird leather jacket with like all the tassels around it that are dangling down and going over and he could be doing some type of like a belly dancing fucking bullshit but nonetheless they all go inside Meryl pays for everything he does turn off the tunes not the guy that's making out but the blonde haired guy that's got a kill them all t-shirt I think it's supposed to be like a Metallica t-shirt but you know it's generic and just says kill them all on the top and you never see anything else so i doubt that it's really a metallica t-shirt but that's what it made me think of and uh you know you got the bitch and tunes in the background as well so 
and they all go inside, and we see the two kids that bought it first that you heard in the beginning of that clip, that they're like, oh, is it scary? And the kids, of course, get scared by a couple of things, but they're kind of dick kids, right? We're like, oh, this isn't really that scary. This is all kind of like trying to act all tough and shit, even though when something jumps out in one of the little kids, it fucking scares them anyway. So fuck you, you little fucking kid. Pull up your fucking pants. You don't know shit about shit. Anyway, so they're walking through the whole thing, and eventually, you know, the ghoulies do show up. We see that the two rocker guys, the makeout king over here, and the guy with his tunes, uh, don't, they won't totally ditch their friend Meryl and go into other parts of the whole attraction. Uh, we see the two little kids, they go into one room where there's the Frank, like I said, looking at everything in this place, this set is really fucking cool, and I would love to go this, even though it doesn't seem scary at all, like, to have this type of old school, nostalgic, classic monster, like, homage that they're doing here, and there's even, like, a pit and a pendulum type of, like, torture device and everything, it, it's fucking fantastic, I really love it, and the way they do it, but... You know, they're not afraid of it. And this is where they actually run into the rat demon for the very first time. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Nothing is fucking better than the Epcot Center, okay? They got the whole, like, different worlds of different countries over there, and they've got that fucking test track and that badass fucking Mission to Mars thing, and then all the learning shit that you can do. Man, you can go through the agricultural little tunnel and shit like that, so you can see all the things and how the plants that they've fucking, they're growing over there, and the fruits and vegetables that actually feed everybody in fucking Disney, how that's all fucking over there. Epcot is fucking great. There's no way... Well, they do have that fucking rat fucking ghoulie that he ate a fucking throwing star. That's what that fucking sound was. Like, where did the kid? It's This is fucking South Park fun with weapons all over again. He fucking, like, cried over to one of the Carney people saying that his parents died. So the Carneys decided at the same time that, oh, I'm going to sell you a ninja star. And then instead of just, like, throwing it in your friend's eye who's dressing up like Dr. Chaos... Uh, Professor Chaos, I'm sorry, he's got a different type of doctorate that he likes to have instead, because he's also a teacher of chaos. Um, he, he throws it at the Rackle, the Rackle, he catches it with his mouth, and then starts eating it. And it's like, oh my god, this is totally badass, and they think it's like a fucking animatronic or some bullshit like that. But then you're telling me, though, still, 
that this one little fucking house of horrors, this shitty little house of horrors, is better than Disney's Epcot? I think fucking not, little kid. Fucking pull up your pants. I'm going to slap you across the face for saying that. Not really, but it, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna pro- probably would do that. Uh, but anyway, so we they run outside all fucking excited. We see that Toons and the Makeout King, they decide that, hey, let's go ahead and ditch Meryl because Meryl has totally escaped, or not escaped, but gotten lost in the whole place. It'd be weird if he escaped, especially what's about to happen to him. So they run away. We see Meryl come in. Meryl's kind of freaked out about the whole place being by himself, and everything scares him from the vampire to all the little things, and he walks away uh, going down the hallway. We then come back over to Toons, his girl, and Makeout King and his girl, the whore, and we they get into like the torture chamber room, and that's where Toons decides to put on his tunes really loud, and so he's playing it, they're dancing, Makeout King is fondling over in the corner again, then all of a sudden, the bat ghoulie does exactly what should have been done to this guy before, and turns off, well, knocks into him, flies around him, and uh, one of the, the cat ghoulie goes and turns off the radio, or it's the rat. I think it's the cat that does it. They look very similar. Not a whole lot similar. The cat one's kind of fucked up. It's like fucked up cat. It's got one eye that's like bigger than the other, where the rat looks more like a regular rat. Well, they turn off his tunes. He's mad, and he's going to go after him, and the bat knocks him down and cuts his hand. He's like, I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to sue this place. And so he leaves, and make out King and his girl, and she's like, oh, we should go with them. And he's like, no, they can handle themselves. I want some more of that sweet, sweet face that you've got there. And so he starts, yes, it was the cat one that turned it off, because the rat one then comes up while they're making it out, and he throws his fucking green throw-up that he threw all over the kid, but he throws it over the face, and they get stuck in that position making out, and his hand gets stuck on her boob, of course, over the shirt. So they end up like getting ravaged by the ghoulies inside of there. And, you know, the of course, you know, the Toons guy has a switchblade knife, which should have been a switchblade comb, honestly. They were a lot cooler. Uh, which, that's what gets knocked out of his uh, hand when he tries to attack the cat ghoulie with it. And so, as all of a sudden there's a ton of people outside, we have, you know, Harden come up wondering... How the hell are they so goddamn popular? And before this actually happens, though, we see the kids run out and they're telling the whole crowd about how cool this place is because the rat ate the fucking ninja star and that they think it's an animatronic of a demon and that's like the best demon that they could get. And that's what prompts Harden to wonder how they're being so successful that night. Looks like you're having a good night. An excellent night. I'd like to see the receipts after you close. I'm staying in Mr. Pennyway's trailer. Oh, you'll like it. It's very cozy. What caused the turnaround? Magic. So, as he says that and he turns around to get some more of the receipts, that's when Toons comes out and says uh, he's going to sue because his hand's all fucking mutilated. And then 
is, is everybody's fucking watch and they see those people like they are. And then we see the, you know, face sucking couple all stuck together and everybody gets so goddamn excited. Oh my God, they got fucking injured. That means this place is fucking awesome. So they go inside and we cut back inside and we see that Meryl is now all by himself and he's being stalked by the cat ghoulie. Uh, who now is in possession of the switchblade knife that Toons dude had originally. So he's going up to him. We see that Meryl sees that the, oh no, dude, not his Toons have been destroyed. And then as he's looking at it again, the cat demon fucking shanks him like almost prison style right in the leg. Like I'm expecting him to walk up and, uh, <laughs> walk away really 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 fast but that's not the case he just shanks him in the the leg he goes down they attach him uh i don't think they attach him on this one yes they do they attach him to the table on this one because they also do it later to somebody else but they do it to like the the swiping thing um the pendulum and eventually he does get cut by it now what bothers me about this, not in the way the ghoulies set everything up. I think that's really cool. I think that they get him into the position, they all lock him into the table, and then he gets his stomach sliced open. But the fact that these guys actually have a sharp enough fucking pendulum that it can kill somebody. Because what if somebody's just walking through and it whacks him in the head on accident? Does that mean it's going to fucking slice open their skull? Or is it just that it's being over that point so often, so quickly... Or not quickly, slowly, I guess, that eventually it's gonna cut, then it would take fucking forever to kill somebody. But nonetheless, it does kill Meryl, or they do, without much fanfare and without much blood. And then you see them wrap him up as a mummy, and then all the people that have now bought tickets, they're walking around and you see the ghoulies, and they actually see the ghoulie put Meryl, the mummy, inside one of the coffins, and they're all excited. Yeah, everything's great. And that's now what's generating the revenue for them. So from here, we see that Harden is approaching Nicole because the night has ended. And he's busy going around and, you know, collecting all the receipts from everybody to see how everybody's done for the night. And he also, of course, has some type of inkling into her. And they begin talking about what her specialty was before. And he thinks that they could make more money by doing something else with her. Fascinating woman, Mr. Fay. Look, I might as well tell you right now, the only thing I want is to make enough money to leave this carnival as soon as possible. Sorry to hear that. Well, Ray thinks you have potential as a specialty act. I don't think so. It's a shame. It's going to be difficult to make that kind of money without uh, unique talent. Sorry, my talents are strictly ordinary. Uh, you're too modest. Walking on a cable 50 feet above the ground without a safety net is extraordinary. How did you find out about that? Harden Enterprises bought out Kelsey's Carnival. They acquired a wire walking act. The fabulous LaFays. Would you care to step inside and talk about it? Oh, that's Sir Nigel's trailer. Yeah, he was kind enough to let me use it during my stay here. After you, Mr. Harden. So they go into Nigel's trailer, and the, the big joke is that everything is really, really fucking tiny because he's a little person. Like, he doesn't sleep in a normal bed. He has his, like, little tiny fucking bed. Uh, it, it's all whatever it is. But what I don't get about the scene, and what, the reason I wanted to play it for everybody, because, 
honestly, one, it does lead up to something else that when I originally was going like, why the fuck is this in here? And still, I don't think that this whole storyline needs to be in this fucking movie. But it makes it kind of feel like it's sympathetic towards this hardened guy. Like, I thought he was supposed to be an asshole. And, like, nobody liked him and whatever. And he's showing some type of genuine interest in her. Though it is an interest, like, kind of relationship-wise or, like, the way that he sees her. But the fact that he doesn't just see her as, like, a mate necessarily, but also as potential money for the carnival like you have more specialties like the high wire act why aren't you doing that we could do that here and you'd make a lot more money and we'd make a lot more money in terms of doing that and we learn why she doesn't necessarily want to do that later on in the film but you have this kind of like sympathetic like nature between them like they're just having genuine conversations and he's laughing and being cheerful and being fucking likable i thought he was supposed to be this like horrible fucking person that nobody fucking liked nobody's gonna get along with that we're just not gonna do anything with and yet here we are everything's happy we're laughing we're having good conversation she seems like she's warming up to him it's really fucking weird i don't fucking get it the tonal shift for this part of the film makes no fucking sense to me It absolutely makes no fucking sense to me why this is where we've gone with the film. So, we see that, you know, they're talking. We see that there's this stupid little conversation in between, um, you know, Sir Nigel and Larry about how he's sleeping over there and that Nigel can sleep in their trailer tonight. And they start talking about how everything is so tiny. He's all, it's also so Lilliputian. And it's, it's wee, a bit wee. Like, it's, they make really terrible puns. And they're not even puns. They're just repeating. It's small, as in small. It's so tiny, like tiny. Like, those are the things, and I just don't get, like, those stupid little jokes that they make. We also see that Ned, he's somehow come out of another drunken coma or some shit, because... After he saw the fucking ghoulies for the first time, we really haven't seen them since. But now he's looking around there and he's noticing that there's actual blood on some of the stuff that they have. Uh, that the first thing that he sees is the little pendulum that's there and the blood that's on the pendulum after they've closed everything down. And he realizes that the ghoulies have possibly done something. On the outside, as they're getting ready to go give harden the you know receipts for the night to prove that they've made a profit you know larry who does have an interest in nicole as well sees them exiting out of sir nigel's little trailer (laughs) yeah little uh and we see like this interaction and there's this tinge of jealousy oh my god you know she's going after that guy type of thing as he walks over and he presents the receipts over to harden you go mr harden one night's receipts It's impressive, but uncharacteristic. Our record showed that Satan's Den's never made this in a weekend, much less a single night. I'll reserve judgment till I see the figures for the next few days. Yeah, I think you've already made up your mind. Oh, I never closed my mind to profit. That's bad business. What seems to be the problem, officer? 
These kids say their friend went into the Satan's den and never came out. And we were attacked by some big-ass mother bat. Yeah, and their friends get caught up in this gooey, sticky shit. And my tunes are still in there. Look, I don't know anything about your friends or your goddamn tunes. Easy, boy. I know these kids. I don't know you. Uh, officer, you sure we can clear up this situation? I'm gonna shut your ass down. So the metalhead is back because he got hurt and he lost his fucking tunes, which he could have picked up his fucking tunes and walked the fuck out of there. They didn't have to stay there. But honestly, the biggest thing is the fact that their friend Meryl hasn't come back and they haven't seen him, even though they wanted to ditch the motherfucker back there. So why the fuck are you really worried about him when you're like, yeah, we could just leave him forever. Like, fuck that. Fuck you guys and fuck your plans for this thing. So, back on the inside, we see that Ned is walking around, and this is truly the most magical thing in the entire fucking movie. The fact that he's holding a light bulb, and the light bulb is giving light. Like, he's not holding a fucking, like, candle, or lighter, or flashlight, or anything like that. He has, like, a fucking light bulb in his hand, and you don't see anything attached to it, yet... Perfectly giving light to the whole place, illuminating everything. To which, the back ghoulie, he actually comes and knocks it out of his hand. So when we cut back over to the outside, and we see everybody on the outside, basically talking about how, yeah, there's nobody in there, you know, I know I closed everything down and locked through, and then all of a sudden the lights go on, they're like, well, what the fuck is that? And that's where Ned realizes that he has to figure out a way to get rid of the ghoulies and send them back to hell. Larry, of course, doesn't realize that Ned is actually in there, and that leads to a scene a little bit later on. So Ned goes and grabs his grimoire and decides that he's going to totally do the incantation to get rid of the demons, where one of the ghoulies, I believe the fish ghoulie, bites him on the neck, and he manages to throw him off. And he uses the blood because the first part of the, the incantation that he needs to do is to write a pentagram or draw a pentagram on the ground so he uses his own blood to do so then he starts actually doing the whole incantation and he's attacked by the other ghoulies the dog ghoulie comes up trying to rip the book out of his hands the cat ghoulie eventually he goes he's got his shank once again like he just loves carrying on to that fucking shank and that's a common theme with the fucking cat demon and he goes and he shanks ned but he manages not to do any damage because he found or he shanked the pack of cards that he always keeps inside of him. But eventually the rat demon does get him. <laughs> I'm a magician, you sons of bitches! You can't kill me! <laughs> Gigantus Demonium Exorador Comedestrum Demonium You may be a magician, but you just got fucking fried to death, Ned. So Ned causes the power to short out once again, which causes everybody outside to actually run back inside and see what's going on. 
Now, this is one of the most ridiculous parts of the movie that I can definitely say does not belong. Like, not does not belong, but it's so fucking dumb, like, the outcome that comes on here. So, what happens is they go inside and they're looking around and everything's fucking dark and they can't see anything. But, of course, with the lighting for everything to be able to film, you can see what's going on. Now, right in front of them, when they enter the room, Ned's body is directly in front of them. He's died from the fucking shock uh, that was given to him by that. And so they're moving the flashlight, and it purposely moves the flashlight all the way above him to first see the fucking pentagram that's on the ground. And, uh, well, first the wires. They say, oh, that's what happened. That's how this the short happened. Then it's down to the pentagram. Wow, there's a weird blood pentagram over here. Okay, let me now move to the left. If I had just shined the light straight in front of me and down, I would have seen all four fucking things but no, I have to pan over everything slowly. So, pentagram. Okay, that's weird, but we're not going to mention anything about that. Oh, there's a book right there. Okay, well, that's a little weird, but I wonder where the book came from then. <gasps> oh, my God! Uncle Ned's dead! Oh, my God! It's so ridiculous that, like, he's right in fucking front of them, and nobody sees that he's fucking dead. The only thing that they notice is everything fucking else, and he's right in front of fucking them. Even in the dark, you would have known that something was there. Like, you would have seen it. And the amount of light, they even turn the fucking flashlight off at one point, and you can see perfectly fine. It's not that fucking dark in there as they want you to believe. But again, I have to give it a little bit because that's the way we can see it, right? It's lit like it's lit from moonlight, but come on. You would be able to see the fucking body. Just turn on the flashlight. Would you point it up and to the right at the first point? Okay, I'm going to go here, and then I'm going to come back to the left. No, you would just point it at the ground. That would have been the first fucking thing that you'd see would have been Ned's fucking fried fucking corpse from the fucking electricity, but no, instead, they see that. And of course, Harden has an easy description of what exactly happened to make sure there's no police investigation into what's gone on at his carnival. That's what shorted out the lights. But what turned them on? Ned! Hold it. Kirby, find that other switch. I'll get an ambulance. He's dead, boy. Oh, Ned. Jesus. Don't touch anything. There'll have to be an inquiry. I'm afraid it's obvious what's happened here. Uh, that's Ned Prentice. Everyone at the carnival will tell you that Ned had a drinking problem. He was obviously drunk and stumbling around and had a tragic accident. So that's the explanation that's going on. He had a tragic accident because everybody knew that it was a fucking drunk, which is honestly fucking true. Like everybody did, and that could have happened, and that's a good excuse to get you out of this. But nobody else sees the other fucking body that's bleeding blood that's inside the fucking tomb unless the ghoulies were like, fuck, we're just going to leave him here, but we're going to make sure we cover our tracks and nobody else notices that we killed somebody else at the same time. So we cut over to the next morning and we see that uh, Larry here, he's working on the truck because he's trying to forget everything that's going on. Again, Nigel brings him fucking coffee to help calm him down and to try to talk about what just happened with his uncle. 
Here you go, Lawrence. I brought you some coffee. Damn thing hasn't been tuned in ages. No wonder we're always the last rig at every stop. Lawrence. Larry, listen. I'm gonna miss him too. He was a fine man and a trooper. Don't let this place do to you what it did to him. Did you clean up yet? No. I have no intention of doing any such thing. Why don't you let it rest? At least for today. Well, that's great. And what are you going to do when Harden fires us? How many openings are there for second-rate hobgoblins? What, are you a member of the Dwarfs Union or what? And they, for sudden joy, did weep. And I, for sorrow, sung. coffee's getting cold so it was at this point in the film that before we get into this that i finally found out where this guy is from now my wife recognized it right away she came in a little late while i was watching the film she was like oh it's that guy where's now he's been in a ton of films that actor of course is phil Fondacaro or Fondacaro or whatever you want to say and he was actually an ewok back in the day but i wouldn't have remembered him from that but he was in also another Terrible Terror podcast uh, classic. He was in the movie Blood Dolls. He was the guy that was like wrangling around the girls and like shouting and whipping the girls. And that was the same guy. And she's like, oh, hey, that's the guy from Blood Dolls, isn't it? And I was like, what? Oh, shit. You're totally right. That is the guy from Blood Dolls. And it's funny because when you look at his IMDb page, the four movies he's known for is Willow. Uh, he was in another movie, uh, called The Black Cauldron, where, oh, you should know what that movie is. Uh, that is one of the best Disney movies that's ever existed of all time, I'm sorry. But it's an animated film based upon the book, and he was the creeper. I believe he was like the little, uh, dwarf. See, why is he even voicing a fucking dwarf inside of a movie, which is kind of fucked up. But, definitely one of my favorite characters. He was an Ewok in the line, um... The Jedi Strikes Back, or Jedi Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Jesus fucking Christ, that that's staying in there, I'd normally put that as a fucking blooper, but that's fucking stupid, and he was also, I believe, in the Garbage Pail Kids movie, that's his top four on IMDb, well that fucking sucks, it should be fucking Blood Doll, it should be this film, okay, you can leave the back cauldron, and you can put a Willow on there, or you could just put Blood Dolls instead of the Garbage Pail Kid movie, what the hell, why would you want to be known for that film, anyway, so... You know, I understand the way that Nigel's feeling here. He's a little upset because, you know, he's lashing out at him. But he should give him some type of a space because his uncle just died. And we don't know why. So, he, you know, the way that Nigel's acting is a little kind of dickish. But that doesn't excuse the fact that, you know, Larry here, he shouldn't be acting like a prick and telling him, Oh, you part of some dwarves union? You're nothing but a fucking third-rate hobgoblin, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, fuck you too, Larry. You don't know shit about shit and pull up your fucking pants. Anyway, so Larry goes off and we see Nigel go back to Satan's den and begin cleaning up just like Larry asked. Because honestly, they don't really have that much time to mourn. Because Harden is gonna fucking close them down anyway, in any time soon, I should say. So, 
we have Nigel going through, cleaning up some of the stuff that's there, and then all of a sudden, he does notice something really odd. He finds the bracelet from the horror that got killed there in the first time, and he runs into the ghoulies and realizes that they are real. And so he runs from them, and I'm at this point, I'm like, oh no, they can't kill poor Nigel. That would really fucking suck. And they cut over, and we get another fucking bullshit scene between Larry and Nicole. And of course, this has to go with with what feelings Larry has for Nicole. And then she begins talking about why she understands his pain about losing a family member. But they're both completely fucking different. And let's just listen to this, and then we'll fucking talk about it. Larry, I'm so sorry about Ned. I know how you feel. No, you don't. Do you want to go someplace and talk about it? Why don't you talk to Harden? Or did you tell him everything you had to last night? That's not fair. He called me in to discuss a business proposition. Yeah, he's good at that. He just offered to buy me out. What'd you tell him? I told him to go to hell. Want to get some coffee? Thank you. When I saw you standing there in front of Nigel's trailer with Harden, he found I... out I used to walk the wire for another carnival. He wanted me to take up the act again. I said no. Why not? If the money's good. I'm afraid of heights. You're kidding. Um, I didn't used to be. The act was a devil, my brother and I. He used to ride a bike on the wire with me on his shoulders. We'd also pass each other on the wire. One time, almost two years ago, we were making a crossing. It was a tough one. Outdoors in a wind. I was so scared. But when I looked at him, he smiled at me, this big smile. And then he was gone. I almost fell too. I grabbed for the wire. As I looked down, he missed the net. Okay, so you know how you feel because you've lost a loved one, but honestly, you don't because your loved one didn't get fucking killed because he was a drunk. Maybe she's saying because, okay, I lost him in a carnival accident as well because I used to be this carnival expert, a high wire person, and it was only two years ago that she lost her fucking brother, but honestly, his was truly an accident. And his father got, or his uncle, got killed by fucking demons. It's totally fucking different. So, yeah, I get it. But I don't understand why we needed to have this storyline in here. Uh, other than they kiss at the end of it. So now tragedy has brought them together. They're able to express their feelings. And yada, yada, yada. Let's just get out of the fucking movie and just move on from here. So we go back and Nigel is now inside uh, with the ghoulies somewhere. And we see that Larry, he's walking up. And like he said, he's been offered the ability to sell the Satan's Den over to Harden. But when he walks up and wants to talk about doing a deal with him, uh, Harden has other plans. Hey, what the hell's going on? You want in there, you buy a ticket just like everybody else. When the carnival opens... No, you see, I run this attraction. Not according to the Greenville Circuit Court. 
Look, I've been thinking about this all day, and I'm willing to sell if you keep Nigel as part owner. He needs the bread and the gig. Well, I've been thinking about it, too. And I don't think this company needs either of you. Ned was right. All you think about is your bottom line. You've got until opening time to get off the lot. What about Nigel? Sir Nigel can have his trailer back. Oh, but uh, if you see him, please tell him we put a lien on his car. So for some reason, Harden has gone back to being a fucking dick. For some odd fucking reason. Like, everything was working out fine, but the moment that he was like, well... Now, you know, so now that this is making money and your uncle's dead, like, he went to the courts to take over everything? Like, it doesn't make any sense. If they're the ones that actually own Satan's Den, and the idea is that we're just going to drop your attraction and you're not going to keep it anymore, what did he go to the courts for? Like, what did he do? He's like, oh, there was a death and he was negligent, so we should now own the attraction instead of it passing down onto his nephew instead? Or because he has no direct kin, like no sons or daughters, that this is what's going on? I don't know. It makes no fucking sense to me that out of the middle of nowhere, he fucking can just take everything over and that's the way everything is going to be. So, we learn this situation right here now that he's actually losing satan's den now the security officer is a fucking useless piece of shit because he tells him the only way that you're gonna get in is if you have a ticket now sonny and like he just runs past him that's it he doesn't do anything it's just like you don't even fucking stop him like you don't even get in front of him he just easily runs past him and he goes inside and he starts looking through his uncle's stuff because he's looking for nigel and he does find nigel uh, and he's hiding inside of Ned's big giant magic suitcase because he's trying to hide from the ghoulies. Nigel, what are you doing? Are they still out there? Did you see them? They're everywhere. What? What's the matter? Things. Living things. Like demons. They're after me. What is this? Another scene from Shakespeare? They were here. I saw them. Look. I found this. That's Patty's bracelet. That's blood, Larry. I think they must have done something to her. Come on, Patty ran out with some guy from town. I know what I saw. They were demons. Listen to me, there is no such thing. Tell him. So that's when the fish ghoulie comes out and actually starts attacking Larry and starts biting him on the chest and Larry just cannot get him off. And what's the best way to get off a ghoulie off your chest? Why, it's by grabbing the electricity and shocking yourself so it flies fucking off. So basically trying to fucking kill yourself the same way that your fucking uncle died is the way that you're getting rid of the goddamn ghoulie. It's so ridiculous. And Larry, can I say this about Larry? He's got to be the most, like, fucking 
indestructible human that's ever fucking existed because he gets the living shit kicked out of him constantly in the last half hour of this fucking movie now that all the shit is about to go down so the big thing that happens here is that he shocks him when he gets bitten in the chest to where he should be bleeding really really badly but he has just a little bit of blood like he barely bit him and then he shocked himself and he's able to control the shock about grabbing it and then releasing it and being perfectly fine. This guy shouldn't, you know, be in charge of this fucking thing. He should be out saving the fucking day like Superman or some bullshit like that. Because he can take fucking anything. Anything that's thrown at him. So he grabs Nigel and they run outside. And they start recruiting members of the carnival to come back over to Satan's Den to stop the ghoulies. Meanwhile, they're selling tickets uh, for everybody to get in. But we see that Toon's dude has shown up with his makeout friend, uh, and they've gone inside to try to get his Toons back. And of course, they get captured by the ghoulies. Uh, he goes around, uh, Larry goes around, I should say, and starts recruiting everybody. He goes and gets weapons, he gets the strong man, he gets the snake charmer guy with his guns, he gets a gun from one of the ring toss people, whatever the carny people are, and they all show back up at Satan's Den, getting ready to go in there and try to stop the ghoulies from doing any more harm to anybody in the park. And we see Nigel talking with the new uh, carny guy that's in charge of Satan's Den, and he's trying to tell him that you've got to stop selling tickets. Stop selling tickets. People could be killed. Get lost. Stop! Sorry, folks, Satan's Den is closed. This! 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 This attraction is open for business. Apprentice, you're trespassing and you'll be prosecuted. The rest of you, get back to work. There he said there is trouble at the dam. We come. When he said no more trouble, we go. This is a serious problem. There are people in danger in there. He's right, If he takes one step toward that entrance, shoot him. Then shoot me. Stop right there. Apprentice! What the hell is the matter with you? What do you want me to do? Shoot a kid? You're fired. Yeah, it's your fucking job to fucking stop them from going in. He, he tells, gives you a direct order. I get it. You don't want to shoot a fucking kid. I wouldn't want to shoot a fucking kid either. But you're given a direct order and you're totally disobeying and not doing anything. Not even trying to stop him. And there's like six people this time. The first time it was just the kid. I get it. But you could have stopped the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth person from going in. So Harden grabs the shotgun and fires the guy and not shoots the guy, but gets rid of him and takes him off after everybody else. On the inside, we see that Toons dude has now been stuck in the guillotine and Makeout Boy over here is on the goddamn uh, pendulum thing that's going on. And everybody is cheering on the fact that these two are about to get fucking killed. And I'm so fucking excited because I'm waiting for Toon's guy to get the fucking guillotine to his neck because it's one of the most fucking annoying characters in this fucking movie. And what happens? As soon as the blade comes down, the fucking, like, reptile dancer or whatever guy dude puts his thing in the way and stops it from falling on top of him, saving the guy's fucking life. And they manage to save the other guy, too, and start trying to fight the ghoulies. So, yeah, the two people I want dead are not dead at all. And I thought it would have been kind of neat at the same time, or maybe like a bigger scare factor, to be like, oh shit, this is real, everybody fucking run. But they're not going to kill a bunch of teenagers, which... 
In a horror movie, isn't that who you fucking kill? You kill the fucking teenagers? What the hell is going on here? Why the fuck aren't we doing this? So, they are saved. They try to fight the ghoulies. They try to fight them with fire. Fire doesn't work. Harden comes in and he's like, what the fuck are those? They're like, they're fucking demons. We need to fucking stop them. And then he's like, well, anybody who captures one alive can get a bonus from me. What? Now you're trying to do that after they've killed a bunch of people and he's saying this is what's killed something, but this is what's making him money, so of course this is the way that they're going to go. He somehow loses the shotgun, I don't remember, but it ends up shooting a hole in the wall which gives the the ghoulies a way out into the carnival, and that's where we get possibly some of the best scenes in the movie because uh, everything up to this point has been just kind of standard. It's been okay. It hasn't been the greatest. There's some really things that you can yell about and you can get mad about. But for the most part, yeah. But this is where I want to say the fun begins. Because we get to see all the little things that the mischief that the ghoulies get into in the carnival in attacking some of the people. The first one is that they're in a shooting gallery and the dog ghoulie and I want to say the fish ghoulie or one of the other ones is behind and the cat ghoulie is trying to shoot them like he's shooting a, the ducks in the duck gallery. And I think that's relatively funny. The next one is there's a wimpy guy that's like trying to hit... <laughs> just thinking where this is going is making me fucking laugh, but it's not my favorite one. Um... <laughs> So it's like the strongman thing where you take the hammer and you hit the thing on the ground and it hits the bell, goes ding. And then, uh, so the guy is there, always a wimpy guy. So the next, oh, you can't handle it. I'm going to do it. And so he does it. And his wife's all excited because, you know, oh, no, it's not the hammer thing. I'm sorry. It's the punching glove thing. That's because this happens here. Um, The punching glove one, if you've ever used those things before, they sometimes have them in bars. Uh, where you punch the bag and it's how powerful can you do it. And in a carnival, if you get up to a certain power, then they give you a prize. Where in this case, uh, you know, the first guy punches it and he can't do anything. The second guy comes in and he wins a prize for his girlfriend, which is the shittiest fucking prize in the whole fucking prize cabinet. It's some little frumpy fucking duck thing and I can see some really cool stuff. I think there's like a Nintendo back there and you're not going to get the Nintendo for your girl because that would give her a lot more pleasure than what you're going to give her after you give her the duck. So then one of the demons, and I want to say it's the cat demon, instead of shanking a fool, it could also be the rat one. I don't remember which one does it exactly, but they get in the glove. I want to say it's the cat one, because that's what I remember and that's what I believe. And they're walking away. And this is where I wrote, what in the actual fuck in my notes? He jumps in the glove, and then he fucking sucker punches the poor guy in the back of the head uh, by, you know, punching him in the head with the glove. And he just flies across the screen and then knocks him the fuck out. And she's like, oh no, what happened, honey? And, but she's not a lady, but that's why she sounds. And then from there, we go over to... My favorite fucking one of all of them. I wanted to leave it for last, but really it's the one that happens next. And the last one is probably the one that would be considered, I guess, the goriest. Um, but, and probably the goriest thing that happens in the movie, but it's not really that gory. Uh, so there's the bumper cars. <laughs> and I'm already thinking about it because it's great. Uh, it's so fucking stupid. So they're in the bumper cars, right? And you see all the people bumping. Yeah, we're playing bumper cars. And woo, woo, woo. And then the ghoulies get into it. 
And one of the ghoulies starts driving one of the other bumper cars. And then uh, there's this girl. And she's in there. And the dog one bites her foot. Which causes her to get out and fall outside of the bumper car. And then my homie the cat one uh, gets in the... Now, if it's the dog one that does this too, I am I totally don't remember. I know the cat's in the bumper cars too, but it could be either of them that does it. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that one of the ghoulies gets, gets the bumper car. And runs her over. It's not the fact that she gets run over. It's how terrible it looks. Like, you have to watch the scene. If there's a way that I can find the scene and I can post it on my social media, I will. Um, but if not, you have to go to just that scene in the movie. And it probably is able to find it on YouTube. I, I wouldn't doubt that you couldn't find it. But it's so ridiculous. Because it just looks so terrible. He just runs right over her. And it starts to go, and it's an obvious dummy, and then it cuts back to the ghoulie, and the bum-bum. It's just over. And then the next one, like, there's like a, you know, the best thing I can example is like those flying planes that you get into, like when you're a kid, and you can move them up and down, and they spin around, so they go higher and lower. Well, there's like a couple in there, and there's the fish ghoulie acting like a gremlin, and he's taken off the, you know, the bolt slowly, but surely. <laughs> this one's ridiculous for other reasons, too. And eventually he does, and they look at him like, oh, What? And then the piece goes flying. <laughs> they just fly off because I guess they're going that fast. And, and then it lands in, the, in this other area. And there's a huge fucking explosion. Like, why is there a giant fucking explosion when this thing goes off? And that one's so goddamn ridiculous that it's just... It's fucking terrible. It just reminds me of, like, I started thinking of the episode of The Simpsons where Homer becomes the Smithers and he's trying to cook all this stuff and everything's, like, catching on fire. And that's exactly what I think about when I'm looking at that scene. So, they go from there and then we go over to the dunk tank who we saw a clown earlier setting up in the dunk tank. But he's, like, heckling a bunch of people and he's like, you can't fucking hit me. You're a piece of shit. And blah, blah, blah. And it looks like, honestly, I think that just from the angle, it looks like one of the balls hits him. Uh, and then, you know, they cut over to a missing, but I think it's just the way that it was thrown. But eventually somebody does knock him into the water, like the jackass that he is, but the fish one happens to be inside, and then drags him under the water, and eats his fucking arm, and he pulls out, and you can see that the hand is missing, or the, everything from the elbow on down is missing from him, and there's a little bit of blood, and that's that. Um, from there, the, the chaos is just going, and, uh, eventually, you know, Larry goes and meets up with Nicole and tells, hey, you know, you need to come with me because everything is going to shit. And then they run to Nigel, and Nigel has an idea on how to beat them. Listen, we've tried everything. Guns, knives, clubs. Nothing seems to work. Why don't we try magic? Nigel! No, I'm serious. It came from something supernatural, right? But then why don't we fight fire with fire? All right, maybe you're onto something. Come on. 
And honestly, during that whole sequence, the music that you hear there in the background is definitely what you kind of hear. But I feel like I needed, because it was so ridiculous, like I really needed some ridiculously like funky fresh tunes. Like, <laughs> I would have loved it when the, the cat would knock that guy out and all of a sudden LL Cool J started playing. Mama's gonna knock you out, but of course I don't think it would have been available at that time. But we needed something like kind of silly, because this was just like really lighthearted. At least I felt that it was very lighthearted. So they decide to go back and get the grimoire, and they are able to find it, and go outside and start to follow the instructions on how to do it, just like his uncle did. The bat one comes down and snatches the book and puts it inside the, the Ferris wheel that's there. And that's where Nicole overcomes her fears, climbs up the Ferris wheel and gets the book and brings it down or throws it down to the two guys down there so they can finish reading it. Of course, Nigel's the one that can read it and because it's in Italian, though I guess his uncle could too, but he didn't know. I don't fucking know. And so the ground begins to shake, and what happens? The bat starts flying at them, and this giant hand comes out and grabs the bat from midair and then starts eating the ghoulie. We basically get, like, a giant fish ghoulie, and he basically starts eating all the other ghoulies. Um, it's really, like, I like the giant puppet. I think that the, the costume is really, really good for the thing. It drools way too fucking much, but I think for the time for that this movie came out, um, I think it's great. I think it looks really well done, uh, and but it is a little stiff in its movement, and it does remind me of like a Rob Zombie like stage puppet. Uh, and so he's basically going around catching all of the ghoulies and eating them. He does do when I'm thinking about the hammer smash thing. Uh, there are people that were playing it, and then one of the ghoulies, the rat ghoulie, scared everybody off. But then when the big ghoulie comes, he smashes the rat ghoulie down with a hammer to eat it and hits the bell at the same time. So that's what I was thinking about earlier. Um, and he does eat everybody. You know, the dog ghoulie's eating popcorn and he pulls them out from there. And when he puts the ghoulies to the mouth, that's where everything looks kind of shitty, like as he's eating them. Eventually, he eats every ghoulie that you see and he starts going after Nigel because he thinks Nigel is a ghoulie. They lock up inside Nigel's trunk and the giant ghoulie is now attacking it, the whole thing and is trying to break in and they come up with an idea, Larry does, to basically make a Molotov cocktail and an explosive inside of it so that way the ghoulie will eat it and blow himself up. I don't understand how this necessarily works because he's drooling so much that the fire is going to go out. But you know what? It ends up working because he mistakes... It honestly looks like there's a hobgoblin with a joint coming out of his mouth and he's smoking on the joint and he's like, dude, I have to get me some of that good shit. And he eats the fucking hobgoblin filled with fucking pillows and shit like that. And then he blows up. The effect for the blowing up, the, the model that they use is terrible. It looks awful. Like the thing that they're going to blow up. It does one of those old like 80s things of, hey... Here's what's going to blow up, but we're going to cut away for a second. Here's the fake thing that's in there, and that's what's going to blow up. It looks terrible, but that's the way that it goes. And so everybody is saved. The ghoulies have been defeated. They've all been eaten by this guy. And now we're on to the next morning, and we see that everybody's kind of like getting together uh, and Nicole and Larry, they're going to leave and start their new life together. 
One guy complains about kids and their heavy metal music nowadays. We see Nicole give her goodbyes. We see Nigel and Larry. They show, you know, that everything is cool with each other. Uh, and we get a little bit of happiness towards the end of this film. Yes, me, officer, was those teenagers playing that heavy metal devil music, you know? Yeah, sure. You sure it's okay if I just leave? Now listen, honey. There ain't nothing else left to tell the law. You better get going. Larry's waiting for you. Maybe it's time that you moved along, too. Hey, I can't do nothing else but sling these old bones around. I might as well stay here with all my friends. I'll miss you. Thanks for everything. Scoop, kid. So they get into the car, of course, after saying goodbye to Nigel, and everything seems like it's fine, but oh wait. Now, I said that they could they have killed every single ghoulie, and he ate every ghoulie that you could see. But there was one scene that I did not talk about, and that was the death of Harden. Now, Harden, of course, you know was going to get it, and the reason that I didn't talk about it until right now is because I've kind of mentioned it through the podcast, and if you remember the poster for the original Ghoulies, there's a Ghoulie that pops out of a toilet. And when he does that, like, you're expecting, and that's what always kind of freaked out about the original movie and not seeing it when I was a little kid because I was worried that was going to happen, and that actually never really happens in the first film. Well, they made good on it, and this one, Harden is the one that gets it because he's trying to escape everything that's going on. He goes into the bathroom, and when he goes into the bathroom, he looks in the mirror and he's, not your fault, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, which truly... It honestly isn't his fault because the demons got picked up somewhere else. If anyway, it's fucking Larry and Ned's fucking fault for not checking and making sure that everything was kosher before they left that station. Uh, and it could also be the Satanists' fault for not making sure that the priest didn't try to get rid of him in the first place. And they would have been in, like working on another place. So it, he's so worried that he's got to take a shit. He sits down on the toilet. The demon... Uh, the fish ghoulie is in there and it does eat his asshole that's what i want to imagine even though i don't want to imagine that happening and he kills harden so the last shot of the film that we get is focusing on that outhouse and then we hear the laughter of the fish demon who's still alive and the end credits roll So that was Ghoulies 2. Now, it's kind of an interesting film. You know, it definitely has that Charles Band touch, that feeling of, 
kind of, I don't want to say crappy nostalgia, um, but like it's low budget, you know, straight to video type of feel. But at the same time, it's relatively entertaining. I actually had a lot of fun watching it. I think things are really ridiculous. I feel like part of the stories could have been taken out entirely. We didn't need to have the whole Nicole's sub story. I think that was a little dumb and ridiculous. But overall, I think that I relatively enjoyed the film when it came down to it. Yeah, there's things that you could gripe about it, but I feel at the same time that even though I can gripe about these things, I still feel that it's very entertaining and worthwhile for you to give it a watch. Did you need to see it before you listen to the podcast? Huh, maybe. But I really don't feel that it will deter your entertainment of the film if you've never seen it before. If you haven't, maybe you should have. But at the same time, I feel like, you know, if you... It's something different than what the original one was like. And I think this was a little more ridiculous than the first one. Where the first one tried to be a little more serious, this one was definitely a lot more lighthearted in tone. So, if I had to grade the movie, which I do, and which I'm going to, <laughs> what would I give it? Uh, so the gore factor of the film, it's a 1 out of 5. There really isn't anything gory in the film at all. Uh, there's the one arm thing, there's a couple biting of chest, there's some blood. It's really nothing anybody could deal with it. I think that anybody could really just watch the film uh, and, you know, just make sure that you give it a chance um, and know that you're not going to get these over-the-top gory scenes, that everything is just going to be kind of mediocre. And in that, like, PG-13, that early PG-13 realm, to even where, if it wasn't for the one F-bomb and... um Really, the severed arm peach, this might have been like a PG movie back in the day. Uh, crap factor, I'm giving this a 4 out of 5 because some of the sets are really terrible. Some of the effects are really terrible. Um, and some of the acting's really terrible. You know, for the most part, though, maybe I'm, I'm going to walk that one back. The acting isn't as bad. It's certain people are bad when they pop up, but they're not on. But the ones that we focus on for most of the time... Um, they're actually relatively good. I fucking love the guy that plays Nigel. I, I've already forgotten what his name is, but he's great in, in this role, and I really liked him in this film. Uh, the guy played Harden, even though he kind of has his, like, Judge Reinhold type thing, but he did his job pretty well. I just feel like the character, story-wise, I think that this is really weak. Right, It could have gone a lot different places and better places. And I don't think we need to have that section where we're trying to feel better for Harden over everybody else. Uh, and the whole Nicole thing could just be right out the window. And there's just this one fucking camera shot when they're talking to each other. And he's trying to show his expression. And she's talking about her, her brother um, you know, falling. The camera is so fucking tight on her face. I can't believe I forgot to talk about this. But it's so fucking tight on her face that... You see every fucking wrinkle that she's got. And I'm not saying that somebody like, that's say older or whatever can't play these type of roles or whatever it is, but it doesn't need to be like that. You don't need to have it just so focused on her face. You could have it pulled back and them looking at each other. It just, it's such a horribly shot scene. And it's funny that his dad, Charles Band's dad, is the one that directed this film and allowed something like that type of cinematography to happen. So it's just kind of ridiculous. Um, and that's why I kind of give it there. And like I said, 
Like, the effect with the big ghoulie and when it died was terrible, and even when it was eating him was kind of terrible. Uh, and a lot of the fun didn't really happen to the last 20 minutes of the film, where the ghoulies got to get out of Satan's den and af- actually run amok in the carnival. I was expecting that to be a little earlier in the film. Um, the fun factor, though, is also a 4 out of 5, because as ridiculous as some parts of this was... I had a lot of fun watching. I think some of the jokes really hit well. I think that all that 20 minutes is, that lead up to it is almost completely worth it for what you get to see and how everything plays out and how ridiculous the killings are. There are more killings in this film than all of fucking Critters. And I just feel like this stuff was a lot more fun. So... Overall, what do I give this film? Well, I'm going to give this film 3 out of 5 cat ghoulie shanks. Um, I really like the puppet design. I really like the little bit of claymation. There's one little later on I didn't like as much, but I thought they were well done. I like the costume for the big fucking ghoulie. They seemed to go all out for that one, except for when they exploded it, and it didn't move so much. That was my only thing, because even when they had somebody in it, it seemed like it moved really stiff. But I think in terms of the entertainment value, there is a lot in this film that you can get. And your mileage is going to vary with it. But I think 3 out of 5 is a fair judgment for this film. And I think that if you haven't seen it before, you haven't seen the original Ghoulies before, you could watch either one and really get into the film because they're not related at all. But I do wish they had done something to make them related rather than just the Ghoulies themselves. So... With that being said, this is the episode, end of episode 98, and we are two episodes away from episode 100. So I'm going to do a little bit of a tonal shift. Now, last time I said I was going to do like two fantasy movies, and then I realized, oh, wait, <laughs> I've been doing Ghoulies too. I only get one fantasy movie to lead me up to episode 100. So what are we going to do? Now, I had a bunch of different choices that I wanted to go with. Everything from Deathstalker to Beastmaster... Um, I was even thinking about doing Legend, and there might be some of those films that I'm going to do later on, but I, it came down to two films. And one, because it's another film that Angry Dad kind of reminded me of and I haven't seen in a very long time, and the other one really came up, honestly, because of... Uh, Mr. Cap, Dr. Nuts, I'm sorry if I ruined your fucking handle on Twitter. Uh, he'd asked about some films that he was showing his kid, and, uh, you know, The Last Starfighter came up. And now that's not the movie, okay? Um, and I really like that movie. But it made me think of this one. And I can't believe there's some people that haven't seen this film, because maybe you're not as much of a fantasy person. And I like fantasy films as well. But I think this is one that's definitely worth a look at. And it's definitely worth of a lead up to the episode 100. Um, and that movie is Crawl. Beyond our time, beyond our universe, there is a planet besieged by alien invaders. Where a young king must rescue his love from the clutches of the beast. Or risk the death of his world. A world called Crawl. On his help! We'll fight together. To this world have come the Slayers. And their overlord, the Beast. If you consent to be my queen, I will hope the attacks of the Slayers. Their incredible power has taken the planet by force. 
their inhuman savagery has got to be stopped. And these are the ones who must stop it. Thieves. Let's just kill them and be done with it. Warriors. Wizards. A changeling. That rudeness. I think I'll turn you into a goose. A cyclops. That's the second time you've saved my life. A child. A king. I give fire to water. It will not return, except from the hand of the woman I choose as my wife. Unlikely allies. Well, you heard him. We are now an army. Battling an unbeatable enemy. For the life of the Princess Lissa. He's too powerful. And the freedom of the planet Kroll. <laughs> Courage lives in many worlds. But the bravest of all is Crawl, a world light years beyond your imagination. So yes, we're going to look at Crawl from 1983. I was but a wee boy when that film came out, and in fact I saw it much later in my life. Uh, not a terribly lot, but this is one of those few films where my father really liked it, and because he knew that I liked, like, sci-fi fantasy, you know, I was big into Star Wars, and all, like a lot of kids my age were, um, it was something that he showed me I really liked. Now, the funny thing is, is that Liam Neeson is in this, in this movie, and he's very young, but this is the first movie that I remember him being in, but I know that he did a couple movies beforehand. So, uh, it's available right now on... Not really streaming in many places. You can rent it on Amazon or iTunes or all those other places like that. But it is available on YouTube. You can search for it on YouTube and you can find the full movie on YouTube at the moment that I'm recording this podcast. I searched for it today looking for the trailer. It happened to pop up. If it disappears, there's nothing I can do about it. If it doesn't, then, uh, you know, go ahead and watch it. It is a relatively long film. It's about two hours long. Um, which will make for an interesting podcast. But I definitely think this is one of those films, no matter how you deal with it um, or how you see it, uh, you should see it before you listen to this because uh, there are some things that I'm just not going to be able to talk about, uh, not necessarily talk about or not explain as well as it would visually when it comes to this film. So, And your mileage will, and I'm telling you right now, it will vary with this film. So with that being said, there are two people that I'd like to shout out this week um, for the podcast. Uh, first one is Isaac Thorne. You can find him on Twitter, at Isaac Thorne. Um, he is a, a writer that's always been very... He supports a ton of podcasts. It's ridiculous. And he always makes sure that he shouts them out whenever he's listening to them, uh, no matter which one it is. Um, he's a great member of the community. Um, and I really appreciate that, you know, every time that... He listens to this one. I get a shout out on on all of his social media. So uh, I thank you for the support. And you should go check out his books. Um, he, the one that he's been advertising. I know he's writing one, a new one right now. Road Kills, I believe, was his last book. Uh, and there's also a short that was made on his. And I'm sorry that I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But go to his social media and you'll be able to find it. I really like the short, what was done from his story. Um, so please go out there and make sure that you check that out. 
the other one is here on Mars at here on Mars underscore. There's he's got a weird underscore at the end. He's got a new album out, new EP. Uh, we played his music here on the podcast before, but go and check it out. Uh, Apocalyptic rock. Um, if I mentioned it before recently, um, well, he's getting a second shout out because it's a damn good EP and you should make sure that you check it out. So with that all being said, uh, make sure that you follow the podcast at T underscore T underscore podcast on Twitter. Uh, make sure that you go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Terrible Terror Podcast, uh, as well as check out the YouTube channel, Terrible Terror Podcast. I'm trying to build the numbers there, so please go check out either. There is a trailer reaction for Ma, as well as a uh, trailer reaction for Pet Cemetery, the new, newest trailer that got reviewed, or released, I should say, in my reactions to that. Uh, and as well as we are going to be seeing um, God, what is that? God, the Prodigy uh, later today, and uh, there'll be a you know reaction with the Paranormal Pat and myself that you can watch the video and our review of that film up there. So I will see you guys next time for Crawl. Don't forget to go watch it, and uh, yeah, see you guys later. <laughs> Bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.